spoil your kids. If I was a grandpa, I would say spoil your kids. But I'm not a grandpa yet. So I'm a, I'm a father. Don't spoil your kids and give them every little thing. Because how many knows? How many have ever seen it? You buy them everything that's on their list. It's five things on their list. They open all five things, and it's their most favorite toy ever, right? And the day after Christmas, they can't even find it anymore. And next year, when you're cleaning out the the stuff for Christmas presents, you find boxes of gifts that they didn't even play with that you bought for them, and you worried and stressed and spent money you didn't have to give your kids those things. Get them. Just get them a couple of really important, special things that they want. And don't spoil them. Don't go overboard. Is that okay for me to say that? And if you've already gone overboard, you have receipts. You can take stuff back. Right? You want to have financial freedom? Don't be moved by lust. Is that good? You want financial freedom? Don't be moved by greed. I hate commercials because what you, the way it started out, advertising started out really good. Advertising started out as, hey, there's information here that you don't know about. We want to make sure you know it, right? It's like, hey, people are missing out on, on this thing because there's no one telling them the information. So we're going to advertise and tell them about this thing so they don't miss out. It quickly shifted from informing people to creating desire in people. Like, hey, if you don't have this thing, then you are not cool. That's a big shift in philosophy. So now what happened is the, 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 the advertising industry creates greed and lust and desire in people. How many of you have ever just had to have this thing? You don't whatever, put, insert whatever you want, and then you don't even care about it anymore. How many of you ever spent and saved a lot of money for this thing, and it just wasn't worth it? Don't make hasty decisions. Don't fall into the trap of, of buying based on greed or lust or instant, oh, I've got to have that thing. Weigh it out. I'm talking about just having financial freedom. I don't even know why I'm saying this. But in this season, it's so easy for us to lose track of what financial freedom means. And, and in families, we, we, I, don't, I don't want you to raise your hand. But how many of you have a family budget? Like, what? Budget? thought that's a hotel you stayed in the budget inn, or you rent a car from that place but I don't know what a budget is for my house I know big corporations have them well why do you think they're wealthy (laughs) they budget they tell their money where it's going to go I have no clue look at this Matt will be proud of me for talking about money again (laughs) sorry I never talk about it if we don't have a budget our money will go wherever it wants to go if you don't sit down, and, and, and th- we're learning this. This is something. This is a, process, a, a year-long process Mandy and I have been going through where we didn't tell our money where to go. So when needs popped up, you just paid a bill. But whoever screamed the loudest, you paid. Whoever called you the most or annoyed you or whatever was most immediate, you dealt with, and you worried with other stuff later. That's not a great way to live life. That's not called financial freedom. And it is possible for you to sit down and say, hey, these are the things that we have to have and budget it out and do not spend over your budget. The Lord wants us to live that way. And so in this season where everything gets out of whack and um, how many people in here, don't raise your hand again, you said I'm spending this much for Christmas and that's it. And how many people do that and actually do it? It's tough to do. But God wants us to be in control, self-controlled. And so I feel like it's important as a church that we continue the process of learning what stewardship means. And that means that we are not, we are not told what to do by outside sources. We're ruled internally. Amen? 
So God, I just ask that you bless us this Christmas season. I ask that above all, we have great family time. We enjoy our families and, and, and we re- remember why you put us all together in the same family and how awesome it was and how awesome it can be. I ask that everyone would experience that. And Lord, I um, also ask that you bless us financially, bless us with stewardship principles in our life <clears throat> and boundaries and self-control. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that good? All right, that was a mini sermon. We had a mini shower and a mini sermon, and we're going to have another sermon. Last week we started, um, it's just a two-part thing, I believe, called the process or the cycle. And last week we really talked about the cycle part of it. I just want to hit just a couple of bullet points just to refresh us, and then today we're going to talk about the other side of that. But you are either in a process, I'm either in a process, or I'm in a cycle. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. There's no, I'm, I'm either one way or the other. The process is the path outlined by God toward my destiny and full inheritance. A cycle is a path outlined by our enemy to keep us from our destiny and our inheritance. So we're either on a path through a process of working things out towards our future, towards our destiny, toward our inheritance, or we're on some little side path over here that's doing everything possible to keep us from what God has set for us. Our obedience or disobedience to his word is what determines whichever one of those paths we're on. Amen? What the enemy does is he brings a spirit of deception and he wants to bind us and keep us in a cycle so we're never really free. We just sang about freedom and we quoted the scripture in the song. It's, it's uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. See, the Lord announces his presence with freedom. Wherever he is, there's freedom. And, and if you and I are not living on the, path or the, uh, on the path of process, we are not really in freedom. Freedom, the way we define it for our children and when we're teaching our children, is freedom is a place where sin has no hold on your life, but God has the complete hold. That's, that's what freedom really is. Everybody okay? Again, we're just recapping real quick so we can get into what's burning in my heart for today. Cycles will rob us of fulfilling God's dream. They will cause apathy to come into our lives and steal our hope. They will make us predictable and non-dangerous. Remember that? We talked about that quite a bit last week. The enemy wants to know exactly where we are. He wants to know exactly what we're up to. He doesn't want us to be unpredictable. He doesn't want us to, to pray for people. He doesn't want us to give money away that, that, that we want to keep to ourselves. He doesn't want us to be generous with our, with our love or with our time. He wants us to be predictable, right? <clears throat> the cycle will stay in our life until the root issue is resolved. And we talked about it. There, you know, the enemy, will, or, or, or the enemy or God will highlight things that, that are, are, are issues in our life, and sometimes they're peripheral things. Sometimes they're the root. God wants us to pull the root up, and that's what we talked about last week. So today, we're going to talk about the process. And I'm just going to go after this thing because it's a word for our church. And it's, it's, I feel like this is so vital that we get this that I've been beating the same drum through different variations for the last couple of months. <laughs> are y'all all right? You good? You ready? Is it hot? You, every, everyone's comfortable? All right. Okay, good. That makes me feel better. <clears throat> For some reason, we get in church culture, and we, we, we take on this mentality that says, we need God to rescue us immediately. We need a miracle right now. We need an end suddenly moment from God. How many of you have ever found yourself in a mess? You're like, you're just in a mess of a problem. It's a pickle. And you're like, God, I need an immediate resolution to this mess. Anyone here? Hello? 
How many of you know that it didn't take an immediate thing to cause the mess? And sometimes it doesn't take an immediate action to fix the mess. This is one thing we did teach our other youth ministry that I'm proud of. Other things I'm like, man, I wish we would have done a little bit better there. But we, we told them that when you get yourself into a mess, the way that you get out of it is the same way you got into it. If you get trapped and you're crawling through the table and you get trapped in this, this is how I, I saw it. Josiah had crawled up under a table when he was a little bitty baby and he got trapped in there. And I was like, you're not trapped. If you can get in there, you can get out. It may take you a little time. It may take you some maneuvering, but you can get out. And, and so some of us, we find ourselves in a mess. And we're like, man, this isn't what I wanted for my life. I know it's not what God wanted for my life. And here I am right in the middle of this situation. And I need an immediate fix. God, give me the escape route. I need a do-over. <laughs> do-over. Like when you're kids and you're playing a game and you're losing, you want a do-over. You just want to start over, forget that you were losing by 30 points, and just a do-over. Right? There are times where God will give us the do-over card, and it's instant. It's a get-out-of-jail-free card. But in my history with God, most of the time, he's not interested in me getting a get-out-of-jail-free card. He's interested in me going through a process to get back in the right position. All right? So we want this and suddenly immediate things, and it's not always that way. In Exodus 23, verses 29 through 30, Exodus 23 um, verses 29 through 30, it says, I will not drive them out before you in one year, or the land will become desolate, and the beasts of the field will become too numerous for you. But little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you can inherit the land. This is God speaking to, to them about their inheritance. He's like, I'm not going to go in and clean up the whole mess for you and give you a get out of jail free card. I'm giving you the, the inheritance for free. But as far as taking care of it and managing it and stewarding it into the fullness of the promise, that's going to be up to you. You are little by little going to gain strength and gain strength and gain ability and gain farming ability and gain um, building houses and city materials and all this. You're going to gain this little by little until all of a sudden you walked in through freedom and you inherited the land by freedom. But you're going to see the fullness of the inheritance through through a process. Are you all right? We want God to just give it to us. Just give it to me. You can fix it, God. How many of you ever prayed that? God, I know you can just fix this thing. You're God. You can just twinkle your nose. You can do whatever you do. Blink your eye, and it will be over. I know you can do that. I have faith for that, God, and faith moves mountains. <laughs> and we're just like, come on, God, do it. Do it, do it, do it. We put our prayers in the prayer microwave. And we sit there and tap our feet like, this is just taking too long. Right? And God's like, hey, hey, you're missing the whole point here. You're missing the whole point. I want to be the prize. I want to be your prize. I want to be the thing that makes you content and happy. If you can learn that, then we will be on a process to where you will be okay. But if we can't learn that he's the prize... He's the reason for living. His presence is the thing that holds our life together. His words are what gives meaning to us, right? If we can't learn that, then we're just going to live in a cycle where we're going to have moments of freedom, moments of freedom, and then we'll be back into shackles over and over and over again. And God doesn't want us to live like that. Amen? The process is not sudden. Why don't you say that with me? The process is not sudden. Let me ask you this question. 
When you pray for a person, and, and we're prophesying, I didn't put if. When you pray for someone, and they have a disease, and they get healed instantly, who was it instantly for? It was instant for you. But that person had been living with that disease. I want you to think about things differently. We, in church, I believe this with all my heart. I want you to believe that every time you pray, people are going to be healed instantly. Because that's the goal. That's what we are processing toward. That's the fullness of our inheritance. But until we can handle the immediate healings, we're going to work through a process. See, what would happen if, if I prayed for people over and they were instantly healed and I didn't have the character inside of me that said it wasn't for me? And it was about me. Man, dude, I got instant success. And that person's been living with a disease for 40 years. And they're like, that wasn't instant for anybody. This was a process. Do you understand what I'm saying? Things in life are not just instant and suddenly. See, God is not bound by our time period. I heard someone say recently, it was really funny. Like, Abraham's like, hey, God, I don't have any kids. And God's like, that's okay, I'm going to give you a kid. He's like, when? He's like, soon. What does soon mean to God? <laughs> Joseph, you're going you're gonna to be in the palace, babe. You're going to be running the kingdom. Your brothers are going to bow down and worship you. Your father and mother are even going to worship you. When? Soon. Like, I need to know a time. Well, what is soon to God? I mean, if he's been around forever, everything is soon to God. <laughs> he's been around forever. A hundred years is like no, nothing. The Bible says a day is like a thousand years to him. And a thousand years is like a day. I mean, what is time to God? And you and I are down here in our little temporary existence on the earth. And we're like, come on, God, hurry up. And he's like, this is crazy fast. You have no idea how fast this thing is going. We don't know all the moving parts that have made this thing happen. And we get so fussy and upset about this right here when we were not created for right now. C.S. Lewis, a quote, I, I, we hit it on Wednesday night. I'm going to try to say it from memory. It says, if you have a desire inside of you where no experience on this earth can satisfy you, you have to remember you were made for another world. We weren't made for earth. We were made to be with him forever. Our soul was created to rule and to reign and to have fellowship with him forever. So we can't get stuffy and frustrated and impatient on our little ball that's spinning here because things don't happen immediately for us. God is not concerned with us having things and stuff and accomplishments and plaques on our wall. He, isn't, he is very much interested in one thing that we have inside of us the character to sustain anything he gives us has anyone in the room ever been given a position an authority a job something grown up and you weren't ready for it i was i was handed the keys to a youth group at 18 years old <laughs> that's like Giving your 16-year-old son the keys to a Ferrari. Here you go. Have fun. Don't worry about it. Yes, it goes 240 miles an hour, but it's okay. You can do whatever you want. It's yours. It was, it was foolish. But boy, did I go through a process. Do I think God gave me that position? Absolutely. 
I wish I would have known then what I know now. How many of you have ever said that before? <laughs> and it's scary when we're given something we're not ready for. Because what happens if we don't have the character for it? We make messes that are unnecessary. Just unnecessary. It's not that we're horrible people. It's not that we're evil in our heart. We're just immature. We say stupid things. I offended more people because I was a passionate person. And I would just be passionate. And I just blurt it out. There's a few people in the room that are kind of like me when I was younger. (laughs) I'm not looking anywhere. You know who I'm talking about. It's just, man, I said what I thought and I was passionate about it. And and if I thought it, that's the way it was. I have to be right. I I see things the way no one else sees it. (laughs) I know what I'm talking about here. Trust me. And you know what's scary is a lot of times I was right and that just reinforced the arrogance in my heart. (laughs) So see, you should have listened to me. Why didn't you fire that person a long time ago? Why don't you? Oh, Lord. Yet all the time the Lord's saying, I'm being patient with you, son. Man, I don't, I don't ever want to be given something again and not go through the process for the character. It's not worth it. it is gifted people without character make messes. That's just true. That's true in work. That's true in business. That's true in church. It's, th- it's true in everything you can find. You, you have a gifted person that has no character, no discipline, no resolve inside of them of what's right and what's wrong and, and no, no care for other people. They just hurt people and make messes. It's not because they're evil. It's because they're gifted beyond measure, but they have no character. God's not interested with you being gifted. and I mean, he is, but that's not his goal. That's not his, yeah, he wants you to do cool stuff. He wants you to have a lot of rewards when you get to heaven. You know, when you're up in front of everybody, he wants, to, he wants you to be like, yeah, I did all of that, you know, and get the crowns. And, and you, you look at my crown. It's got more jewels. I mean, he wants us to be excited. He wants us to be happy. But that's not the goal. The goal is for us to have the character for it. The Bible says there's a verse, I, I wish I wrote it down, um, speaking of Joseph. And it was saying that, um, that the trials and the things that he went through, from, from his brother selling him into slavery, from living as a slave, from being falsely accused, from living in prison, from moving his way up the ranks, all that stuff took years of time. And it, the Bible says that those things tested the word and proved the word in his heart that God spoke over him. And it says at one point that iron entered into his soul. And you know, it's really, it's a beautiful descriptive way to say the guy had a solid steel resolve of character. The things that he went through tempered the the gifted things in his heart and made them where they weren't flexible. He couldn't be bought. Joseph couldn't be seduced by the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. I mean, if she's the king's wife, she had to be beautiful. And she pursued him day after day, and his heart couldn't be bent in any direction. He was steadfast. He actually left his clothes and ran out of his coat as she grabbed it because he had iron in his soul. Character had been built up. Instead of stewing in a dungeon of offense, character was built inside of him. David was anointed king and and had to run for his life for how many years? 13, 14 years before he became king? His own nation turned their back on him. And then the Philistines, they, they wanted him to be on their team. And then they turned their back on him. All these crazy things happened to David in a short period of time. And all of it created the man who wrote, Create me a clean heart. Search me, O God. The Lord is my shepherd. I mean, things we quote all the time. Where did he get that stuff? 
It didn't happen the moment Samuel anointed him and said, hey, you're going to be king. Did he, was he the king in heaven at that moment? When Samuel anointed him, in heaven's eyes, he was already a king. But on the earth, things weren't put in place yet for him to be king. There was a process that had to play out. And David lived through the process. He made mistakes. He had bumps on the road. He made some foolish decisions. Like every one of us, it wasn't because he was evil. It was because he was passionate. And in those things, they built a character inside of him. And he became, to this day, one of the most revered kings that's ever lived on the planet. As a matter of fact, when Jesus comes back, the throne he will sit on will be called the throne of David. And it didn't come instantly by Samuel, the prophet, anointing him. It came through the process. And, and for whatever reason, we get impatient. And we look at Bible stories, and we're like, man, it seemed to happen really quick for them. And we, because sometimes the Bible leaves out that process time. And it's like, all of a sudden, they appear on the scene, and they're crazy amazing. Like, how did that happen? I mean, Jesus is born. We hear of that stuff. And then he disappears from the time he's 12 years old till he's 30 years old. We don't know what Jesus was doing. We don't know where he was. We know he was definitely getting closer to the Father. And the Bible says that, that um, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So he learned obedience um, I, I love what a, a guy named Chris Fallatin said, this disobedience and obedience. Uh, disobedience is not, uh, disobedience is doing the wrong thing. Obedience is doing the right thing. So Jesus never did the wrong thing, but he learned through a process how to do exactly the right thing as a man on the earth. So for three years, we see Jesus heal everyone he talked to, raise the dead, cast out demons, and we're like, man, Jesus did it so we don't have to do it, he, which is true. He went through what we deserved so we, could go, so we could take on what he deserved. And we've heard us say that here. And we forget, whoa, what made him who he was? What sustained the amazing breakthrough that he had? All those years of process. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in a cycle. Because it's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> cycles they just suck right they're just not fun it's like you feel good and then you feel bad about yourself and you feel good you feel bad you you're constantly being shifted and thrown around and it's no fun god doesn't want you to live that that way but to be completely honest the process isn't much fun sometimes either it's a different kind of thing it's not a hurtful thing but it's a process jeremiah talks about the potter he's at the wheel and he didn't like the way things were going. So he takes the clay and he breaks it down and reshapes it. And then he gives the word to Jeremiah. Says, you, he says, say this to Israel. Am I not the potter and you the clay? Can I not do with you what I did with that clay? Can I not make you into anything I want? And later on it says, does the clay say to the potter, make me into this. I want to be that. I want to be like that person. I want to be the one that's, that's showing out in the house. I want to be on the mantle in the fireplace next to mama's ashes. <laughs> I want to be that person. <laughs> Sorry. The Lord says, no, I make you into what I want you to. All you have to do is to stay on the wheel. Stay in the process. And I don't want any shortcuts. It seems like the greater the promise, the greater the inheritance the greater the process. Yeah. 
If we take a shortcut, it will, it will cause a crack somewhere in the process. And, and as, as a church, we're in a process. And we're not going anywhere. Like, that's just it. I, when Mandy and I decided we wanted a pastor, we, we literally sat down and we talked one night. And we went through everything. How we want to do this. What we, I had for a year been writing out, typing out how I wanted things to be whenever I pastored. Because I knew it would happen someday. And I created all kinds of documents and, and breakdowns and leadership structures and charts and all kinds of stuff of dreams of what I would want when I pastor. And it is not going as fast as I would want. You know why? Because when Mandy and I came here, we told the Lord, we want to please you. We want to do this, and we don't want any shortcuts. We don't want to be bought. We don't want to bend. We don't want to break. So whatever you have to work out in us, you know, whatever we have to go through, in every season, we're going to love it. And we're going to feel like it's the greatest time on the earth. And we even said, God, if there's 10 people in the room or there's 1,000 people in the room, we're going to pursue you. We're going to go through the process. And it's not always easy because sometimes we want to get off the, the wheel and, and see how things are going and look in the mirror and check it out. The Lord says, just stay in the process. The thing, I, the thing I think Mandy and I have learned the most, and I can speak for her because we talk a lot. We really do. We spend a lot of time together. We have learned the importance of stewardship. We're learning. We haven't learned. We're learning. The importance of stewardship and being responsible. That's the message for our church. <laughs> Take care of what you have. Take care of what you have. Oh, I want to read this scripture. I totally jumped around. Oh, that's fine. Hope I put it in here. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus had just told the, the, the parable of the sowing and the reaping, and the disciples were like, Why do you keep doing this to us? Why do you keep talking in riddles and in parables where we don't, not everyone understands what you're talking about? Why do you keep doing this to us? And so in Matthew 13, verse 10, Jesus says this to them. He says, why do you speak, they said, why do you speak in parables? And he replied in verse 11, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you, but it hasn't been given to them. And listen to this, talking about stewardship. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. And though hearing, they do not understand or hear. What he's saying is, you're taking what I'm saying and you're stewarding it. So because you have, you possess it, more is going to be given to you. Those that don't hear, even what they have will be taken from them. Stewardship's a big deal. Process is a big deal. Everyone say process is a big deal. Proverbs 25 verse 2 says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search them out. 
I want to tell you today, God is not hiding your inheritance from you. He's hiding it for you. He wants you to find it. But he knows that you will only find it if you're hungry for it and if you steward the moment right and if you really want it in your heart and pursue it. That's why he spoke in parables to people because he wanted only those who really wanted to know him and wanted to lean into him and only those who really wanted to have a, a passionate relationship and understand and, and, and those people that were pursuing deep and searched it out. He wanted them to find it. But those that didn't care and were flippant with it, he didn't want them to find it out because the kingdom, the principles of the kingdom will kill people without character. Everybody okay? If, if you and I learn the principles of the kingdom and apply them to our life and we don't have character, they will destroy us. The kingdom's an amazingly powerful thing. It's that Ferrari that we wouldn't give our 16-year-old, right? And God wants us to go through process. And I'm going I'm to wrap this up really quick. What he has for you, your inheritance, is free. Everyone say, my inheritance is free. But the fullness of it, it will cost you the process. You, you can have your promised land right now if you want it. Or you can go through the process and live in the promised land and through the process see the full potential of your inheritance. You can have that thing you really want. You can have it right now. But it will be fleeting. Amen? The desire to have everything free, easy, and immediately is, a, is our church culture, world culture. We don't want to go through a process. We don't want the struggle. We love the underdog stories. How many love underdog stories? Oh, the person who rises from the ashes to, to be the greatest star in the NBA, or they went through obstacles and trials. I love those stories. How many seen stuff? Man, it's just a great story. Why do we love the story? Because we see the end result. But if they just showed a 30 for 30 behind, you know, the ESPN does these 30 for 30 shows on athletes and the things they go through and, and amazing cool stories and stuff. If we just saw the process and didn't see the end result, how many of us would really like it so much? You're like, oh, I don't want to go through that. I don't want to lose it. Uh. That doesn't seem quite as fun. But that is necessary to, to get to that point. If you'll read all through Scripture, not one man or woman who, ha who saw amazingly great things from God skipped the process. <laughs> and it was kind of scary because God would usually announce, hey, I'm going to do this really awesome thing for you, and then things would really go south from there. <laughs> like, it would be the exact opposite because the word has to be tested. It has to be proved. Amen? Amen? All right, we're closing this up for real. If we want to skip the process and we want it now, it's called humanism. How many have ever heard of atheism? How many knows what atheism is? Easy. What is humanism? It's more deadly than atheism. 
Because almost everyone believes there's a God or a creator of some kind. Almost everybody believes that. There are, I mean, there are atheists around the world that say that. But the majority of people on the planet believe that there's somebody out there. So the biggest issue that we struggle with in, in the world is not atheism. It's humanism. It's where we become our own God. It's where what we want, when we want it, is the most important thing. Everybody still good? How many have heard us say that we want our ceiling to become our kid's floor? That's what true fatherhood is. I want to go places and earn things for my son so he doesn't have to go through things I went through. How many think that, that's pretty cool, right? But it doesn't stop there. My son may inherit my ceiling as his floor, but he'll have children. And he'll have things that he'll have to go through and processes he'll go through and battles he'll fight to raise that ceiling to another level so that his kids will have something higher to stand on. And then my grandchildren, beautiful grandchildren, I can just see them. My beautiful grandchildren, they're going to go through a process to push that ceiling even higher so that my great-grandchildren have a higher place to stand. So that one day around Christmas time or Thanksgiving, when all four or five generations, however long we live, are in the same room, we can look across there and see the ceiling being raised and raised and raised. And it comes free. Josiah gets it for free. Matthias gets it for free. But his ceiling being raised will cost him. Amen? How many want to embrace the process? We're not living for one generation. We're living for the next and the next. Amen? Amen. Uh, I just want to stop. I'm standing on five generations of ceilings for my family. I am. Right now. I'm the fifth generation pastor. And hundreds of aunts and uncles and cousins are in ministry through the years. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm standing on the shoulder of giants. And my dad fought things that I didn't have to fight. And my papa broke alcoholism. And I've never tasted alcohol in my life. My brother's never, my sister's never. Not even a taste. I'm standing on the shoulder of what they paid for. The process, I, the process they went through. I mean, I had a, my great-grandfather was crazy. He was a, he rode bulls and he was a, a crazy person, not the one that was a pastor. <laughs> I mean... He'd get so drunk, he thought cars were bulls, and he'd be riding them and get thrown off the car. I mean, the guy was crazy. But his, he broke it, and then his son completely destroyed it. It was my papa, and then my dad, and here we are. 
Every one of us go through a process. I don't want any shortcuts, you know. If I take a shortcut here, it may hurt my son. I'm sorry. I'm weepy like an old man today. I mean like a hundred-year-old man. So is that not to offend anyone in the room. <laughs> Why don't you stand? Oh, man. <clears throat> as much as I want the inheritance for me, man, I want it more for my kids. I really do. I really do. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just ask that you would stir this word up in us now. And if we're not in process, we've been taking shortcuts into cycles or whatever it is. I ask that you kick us back into the process. Put us back on the wheel. Smooth out those rough places. And make us into whatever you think. If it's for noble purposes, great. If it's for ignoble, great. If we're made of silver, awesome. If we're made of bronze, awesome. We just want to do and become everything you want us to be. Why don't you just pray right where you're at and just ask the Lord to keep you in process. Stir character up in us, Lord. Oh, Stir up character inside of us, Lord. Stir up character in us, Lord. Trials produce perseverance, endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Stir those things up in us in increasing measures, Lord. We don't want to stand in our moment and be unprepared. Father, forgive us for taking side roads and cycles, shortcuts. We don't want any shortcuts. It may be painful. It may take longer. But it's worth it. It's so worth it, Lord. We want to see your kingdom coming. And your will done on earth as it is in heaven. But when it does and when we are part of it, we want to be people of character and purity so we don't shame your name. Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. So, patience.
patience is a uh, it's kind of the key, right? To being able to let God do a process within you and and maintaining your joy, maintaining your appreciation, uh, uh, your gratefulness toward Him, even in the midst of going through, you don't have what what you've been promised. And so patience is the key. You know the story of Joseph, we all know, right? It's a long story <laughs> for a reason. The point of that story isn't the ending. We all like the ending because it reminds us of God's faithfulness, but that's not the reason that story's in the Bible. God put that story in the Bible for a different reason. And it's so that we can recognize that the vast majority of the time, we're not at the end of the story. We're in the middle of the story. And, and we just have to remember that sometimes. We're going through things in our lives. We're still in the middle of the Joseph story. We haven't gotten to the end yet. That's why the story's there. So if you need to be encouraged, go read the end of the story. But recognize that that's probably not going to be the end of your story tomorrow. <laughs> You're not going to enter the promised land right now. You know, there's still time for you to grow, for, for God to do a work in you, yeah? <clears throat> That's funny because I think about the katana sword, right? All the, the master swords makers back in like Asia and, and China and Japan. And, you know, the master of the, of the ironsmithing shop or whatever, forgery, I don't know what you call it. I can't think of the word. You know, he was an old dude that... He was brilliant, but his, his arm strength wasn't what it used to be. And so he'd have all of the apprentices doing the work on the sword. They were making a beautiful sword. You know, these things, they didn't make them, a bunch of them. They would make, they were only for the samurai, right? Only for the secret service. So they didn't make a whole army's worth of katana swords. They would make them, and they put everything into them. And so they're making one at a time. And all the apprentices are just, just hammering away at this sword. And then, okay, Put it back in the fire again. The sword's got to go back in the fire and melt down again. And then they got to, you know, once it melts, they fold it in half. They fold it and they bang. They, they, they do this over and over and over again. And I can imagine these apprentices in the middle of the day are like, dude, our arm is hurting. <laughs> this sword is, is good enough. It's a sword. And the master's like, no, this sword's not even halfway there. Keep hammering. And they're like, dude, I'm going to have to get rotator cuff surgery. that they just have to keep hammering because that's what makes a good sword is the repetition over and over and over and over and over and over again of melting, hammering out, melting, hammering out, melting, hammering it out. And so if you feel like, man, when is the end of my process going to come? I'm going through this. When is it going to end? God's making a strong sword, a very strong sword. So you can encourage yourself in that way. The idea of patience, the key to patience isn't being able to calm our anxiousness. That's, that's not the key because, you know, it's good for us to be anxious and excited about what God is doing. We don't want to calm that. That's a source of joy. So you don't want to just calm yourself down. That's not the key to patience. The key to patience is understanding the bigger picture. That's the key to patience. You know, whenever you can see the ending, even though you're far away from it, and know that God is going to get you there, that's when patience is born inside of you.
Because you can say, okay, I can take another step today. And then, okay, I can take another step tomorrow. I can keep going. It's seeing the big picture. So that's what I want to pray about. And I, and I want you to just think, what is my big picture? Where is God taking me? And maybe you don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I'm sure you can identify things right now that won't be there. <laughs> right? I'm sure you can identify struggles you're going through right now that aren't going to be part of the ending. And so I just want you to trust in God and just tell Him that you trust Him. And we're not going to make a request to Him right now. We're not going to petition Him right now. All we're going to do is give Him a vote of confidence. Say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm just handing it over to you. Okay? Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for this word. I think it's a timely word for all of us, God. I think it's incredibly perfect for where I'm at personally. And so I thank you for it, Father. And I thank you uh, for those who received your word today. Who received your word today. God, and I pray that it would grow inside of them. I pray that they would understand that you're doing something even if they don't understand what it is you're doing. God, and today we trust you. Lord, today we believe you can do what you said you'd do. God, today we believe that the end of our story will be everything you want it to be and nothing that our enemy wants it to be. And God, we give ourselves to you. And although it's hard for us, Lord, to let go of, of temporal things, of earthly things, Lord, we know that we're an eternal creation because of you, because you breathe your spirit into us. God, and so we just want to connect to your eternity and understand the bigger picture of our life and that you're building something truly special and that our prize is not our next promotion. Our, our prize is not whenever we finally get to move into a, a bigger home. Our prize is not whenever we finally get to enjoy a, a good relationship with somebody rather than a struggled relationship. No, Lord, our prize is when we go through those things, we find you. And you are our prize, God. You are the ending to our story. And so all the struggles we go through, Father, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. And we're going to continue to fight to stay close to you knowing that you'll take care of us. And when the oceans rage, we don't have to be afraid because we know that you love us. And your love, it never fails, Father. Lord, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you guys have a good Christmas. You're right? I'm serious, right? You're right? We got people who've been through all kinds of Christmases. This year, I want it to be a really good one, Okay. So have fun with your families. Be blessed. Do we have anything else? Also remember we have the, the mini shower in the foyer right now. So um, you want to hang out for that. And yeah. Love it. you guys. Love you all. Awesome.